Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all, this is episode 128, and today I'm looking at James 3.1, which says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. If you're blessed by today's episode, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, you can find digital audio, and paperback copies of my book, Faithful Witness, on Amazon. And if it's a blessing to you as well, please consider leaving a rating and review there too. And to give you an update on my new album, Dusk and Dawn, it is in the mixing phase now. The first track is getting mixed as we speak, and I'm so excited for that, so please keep it in your prayers. And finally, I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency along with BDK, and you can find all of our content on our YouTube page, Omega Frequency Live, so please go check that out. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get into episode 128. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. That word teacher is didaskalos, which derives from didasko, a teacher. So a didaskalos is a teacher and instructor acknowledged for their mastery in the field of learning. In scripture, a Bible teacher competent in theology. The role of teacher was an important leadership position in the early church. We read in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. In the Didache, which was perhaps compiled around 70 AD, it's, it's most likely the earliest Christian document outside of the New Testament, we read about what makes for an approved teacher. It says, whoever comes and teaches you all these things that have been taught before, receive him. But if the teacher himself turns aside and teaches a different doctrine that subverts what has been taught before, do not listen to him. If his teaching fosters righteousness and the knowledge of the Lord, receive him as the Lord. So an approved teacher has to be teaching what the apostles taught, which is what Jesus taught. And so he's saying, if a teacher is coming to you in the name of the Lord, coming as a Christian, but is not in line with, as Jude says, the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, we are not to listen to this kind of a person. So other than a teacher continuing to promote and urge people to follow Jesus's teachings, what else should a teacher be doing? 
Well, in Acts chapter 19, verse 8, we read about Paul, and Luke writes, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, this is in Ephesus, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God, just like Jesus. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, this word reasoning, as in reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, is dialegomai, which carries the idea of a dialogue, conversing, trying to get to a conclusion through an exchanging of thoughts. This word occurs 13 times in the New Testament, usually of believers exercising dialectical reasoning. This is the process of giving and receiving information with someone to reach a deeper understanding, going back and forth. And this is so important if you've ever preached or taught in a Christian setting, and afterwards someone comes up to you saying they loved the message so much, and and this is what they loved about it, and you think to yourself, I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. Well, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus tells a parable of the soils, or the parable of the sower. And in verse 19, Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. So for Jesus, it's critical that understanding is taking place in the hearers. And so In a dialogue, rather than a monologue, you have the opportunity to exchange information. This is what I was hearing. Is this what you were communicating? Uh, Yes or no. That's not what I meant. Let me try to explain that better. How much dialogue are we giving place to in our Christian gatherings? In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes that Jesus gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of of which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So here in Ephesians 4, Paul is saying that we have a responsibility as teachers to help people mature in their faith, to teach them how to discern between true doctrine and false doctrine, and to teach them how to teach also. This is a high calling, and with great power comes great accountability. 
Again, James writes in chapter 3, verse 1, that we should not be so quick to want to become a teacher because teachers will incur a stricter judgment. That word stricter means large, great, in the widest sense. So is that really true? Does the Bible teach that teachers will receive a stricter judgment? Well, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul gives many uh, qualifications for overseers. And in verse 2, one of them is that the overseer must be able to teach. Then in verse 6, Paul says that an overseer must not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. That should give any teacher a cause for pause. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. But then in verse 19, he says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. But those who continue to sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. So Paul seems to be kind of implying, skipping the second step of Matthew 18, right? If if they sin in Matthew 18, we go right to them one-on-one and confront them and ask them to repent. If they don't, then we bring a couple others, ask them to repent. And if they don't, then you bring them before the entire church. Well, Paul is saying here, if an elder is continuing in sin, you go right to step three, basically, rebuking them publicly in the presence of all. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus does exactly that. In the presence of all, he rebukes the teachers in Jerusalem, saying in verse 38, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the, and the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Peter continues this idea of teachers receiving a stricter judgment when he writes in his second letter, 2 Peter, in chapter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. These are springs without water, starting in, this is in verse 17. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved, 
for speaking out arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if... After they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. Those are some of the harshest words in Scripture, and they are reserved for those who teach the Scriptures. In Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples and imploring them to stay watchful and to make sure they are good and faithful and sensible servants. He says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. So whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. So you too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And then Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and the sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and then begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they have entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. This is, this is a scary parable. 
but it's, it seems very just, right? Those who have received the greatest revelation of God's truth will receive the strictest judgment. That's what it appears to say. So is that how the early Christians interpreted this parable? Here's Irenaeus speaking about it in around A.D. 180. He writes, Those who are believed to be presbyters by many, but serve their own lusts, and do not place the fear of God supreme in their hearts, but conduct themselves with contempt toward others, and are puffed up with the pride of holding the chief seat, and work evil deeds in secret, saying, No man sees us, shall be convicted by the word, who does not judge after outward appearance, nor looks upon the countenance, but rather the heart. And they shall hear those words to be found in Daniel the prophet, O thou seed of Canaan, and not of Judah, beauty hath deceived you, and lust has perverted your heart. You are waxen old in wicked days, and now your sins which you committed before have come to light. For you have pronounced false judgments and have been accustomed to condemn the innocent and to let the guilty go free. And speaking of these, the Lord said, But if the evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming and shall begin to smite the manservants and maidens and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day that he does not look for him, and in an hour he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. From all such persons, therefore, it behooves us to keep aloof, but to adhere to those, as I have already observed, who hold to the doctrine of the apostles. Here's Tertullian speaking on that same parable around 200. He says, When therefore Peter asked whether he had spoken the parable unto them or even to all, he sets forth for them and for all who should bear rule in the churches the similitude of stewards, that steward who should treat his fellow servants well in his Lord's absence would on his return be set as ruler over all his property. But he who should act otherwise should be severed and have his portion with the unbelievers when his Lord should return on the day when he looked not for him and the hour which he was not aware. Even that Son of Man, the Creator's Christ, not a thief but a judge, what will be the end of the severed ones? Will it not be the forfeiture of salvation, since their separation will be from those who shall attain salvation? What again will be the condition of the unbelievers? Will it not be damnation? That is some heavy, heavy stuff. So how should we respond? Well, let's look at a couple of passages from James. First, in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, James writes, This you know, my beloved brethren. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside 
all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Moving to chapter 3. Again, after James says that we should not be so quick to want to become teachers because they will incur a stricter judgment, in verse 2 he writes, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. I remember once when I was leading worship around 2005 in a church, and the music minister was there in attendance watching, and after the service, he came up to me and he said, well, son, you, you definitely have the gift of gab. <laughs> I'm not sure that that was a compliment, and I'm not sure when I see the Lord face to face if I would have wanted that gift. As Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 says, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. As a podcaster, as an author, as a speaker, we are constantly looking for content. Just to be honest, you know, cards on the table. We look for things to respond to, to react to. And oftentimes, the things that get our attention are the things that make us angry. 
And I think it's interesting that James, right after he tells us to be slow to speak and quick to listen, he tells us to be slow to anger. And you know, justifiably, in one sense, um, at least partially, one of the things that usually makes us the most angry is when we see teachers in rebellion. And so, as a final caution to those of you listening to this who either are currently in some form of teaching role or are considering one, I want to read the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 6. Paul writes, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him, but do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. When we see these wild things happening on social media or in our culture, and we get so eager to address them and put these people on blast, before we do that, we need to pause and consider the fact that we could easily fall into the exact same sin. We need to stop and pause and sow to the Spirit, seek out what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, and if He does call us to rebuke publicly, then we need to do that, but with a spirit of gentleness, seeking their restoration, not their condemnation. And I have been guilty of not practicing Galatians 6 in my anger at times. But one day, just like them, I will have to stand before the Lord and not even my mother will be able to help me. Have I truly taught and modeled the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints? And have you? I pray that you have. God bless you.
busy talking all my life It's so hard to hear you speak So tired of falling like I'm blind But I think that now I see I've seen it all by now Everything that shines and fades Capture my thinking when I bow Like a substitute could save I need you more than I could ever recognize Don't pass me no, no, I miss your company Jesus, hear my plea Don't pass me by No, no